Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. Scripture reading comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first three verses. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We thank you for your presence here today. I wanted to mention a couple of uh, exciting things as we get started. And especially for those of you who've been tuning in online with us, we have a new class starting this coming Wednesday night. I'm going to title this class, Link, and the purpose of this class is to explore what helps us to have healthy relationships. We're going to be looking at a variety of passages of Scripture and also some good uh, just general principles, but uh, looking forward to an interactive experience. A lot of you have a lot of wisdom to share. I've said that uh, as I'm teaching this, I I don't presume to be an expert on good relationships, but I hope to at least be a facilitator uh, for good discussions. And so uh, if you're not currently tuning in on Wednesday nights, would invite you to consider. Uh, We'll be there uh, 7 p.m., both on our Facebook page live and then also on our YouTube channel live at uh, 7 p.m. Also want to mention, uh, coming up on February the 7th, a significant Sunday, I guess it's kind of a month from now, but we are finally planning to bring back some in-person class options as well as life groups. Uh, Kevin Burr is coordinating all of that. He'll have some more to say about all of that in the coming weeks. Also wanted to make sure you're all planning and thinking. Uh, Part of what we're doing is that we're going to start doing our worship services at 9.30 a.m., and then class is going to follow worship Roughly, roughly 10.30, 10.45, after, after worship is over. And then we're going to have uh, life groups meeting at various times. And so excited to have some in-person options again. Uh, we know that for some of you that meeting in person is just a, a difficult thing to do. Uh, and so we, we totally respect whatever it is you need to do for your, your health and your situation. But for those of you who are wanting to do that, uh, we're glad uh, that's the plan for now to be offering those again. So this is our first Sunday to worship in the year 2021. Uh, I don't know about you, but as I was on uh, social media over the last week, I I saw and was amused how many of my friends used the opportunity to take one final shot at 2020 and what a difficult year it's been. I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. I I think, in fact, if if you could dim the lights just a little bit, uh, guys, I want to make sure everybody can see the the images here. Um, Just in general, it seems like everyone refers to 2020 as some sort of a dumpster fire. Uh, That seems to be an ongoing theme. As we think about what it would mean, there have been so many writers over the decades who'd imagined what 2020 would be like. What does it look like to live in the future? There is what we thought we were getting than what we actually got. Some very creative, if you can see that, they've got five-gallon bottles on their heads for masks. 
Some people claim that we're actually living in the apocalypse. What did you expect your apocalypse outfit to look like? <laughs> Not nearly as intense for most of us as we might have imagined. This was one of my favorites. If 2020 were an avocado, there's the one you hoped for versus the one you got. Many of you had vacation plans. I wonder how those turned out. Yeah, take, take a close look at those. I thought those were really good. Back to school. There's expectation versus reality. It's a very different, very different year. In fact, I've also seen on Amazon you can now purchase commemorative coins saying that you survived 2020. You can remember it as the year that a roll of toilet paper was worth more than a barrel of oil. Really hurts down here, doesn't it? Finally, I thought I would just share a quote we can all relate to. 2020 has been hard on all of us, says Taylor Swift. So. Okay, just, just, just messing around, but it really has been a disruptive year, hasn't it? School and work, uh, church, certainly, family traditions, vacation plans, many friendships have been strained through all the events. Uh, and so what I decided to do for the first little chunk of 2021, I'm going to be doing a series that I'm calling Uncharted. And I think being in the time that we're in, uh, not, not that I possess all wisdom on exactly what we ought to do as we move forward, but I do think Scripture provides us with a lot of wisdom for how we should look at experiences like the one we've been going through and also how we can think ahead about what God would invite us to be doing. After all, 2020 is hardly the first difficult year in the history of humanity, is it? There's a lot of, there's a lot of time history. Maybe the pandemic for us felt unprecedented, but there have been many times where people, and specifically God's people, have gone through rough patches and great difficulty. And so what I'd like to do this morning as I get started with this study is to kind of walk us through some especially trying times in Israel's history. Now, something I'm also excited about, in the, in the coming month or so, uh, three of my sermon spots I'm going to reserve to actually have some conversations with some of our uh, ministry leaders and elders, uh, just reflecting on some of what we've experienced and what it is we're hoping to do as we move forward. So uh, starting next week, in fact, we've also got uh, Baby Blessing Sunday next Sunday, so that'll be a nice, positive way to start the year. But as part of that, I'm going to be uh, interviewing and talking with uh, Justin Campbell, Crystal Dawson, a little bit about what it's been like doing children's ministry and what it is we hope for our young people's ministries moving forward. So we're uh, looking forward to that. Reflecting on rough patches, I would imagine that Israel would tell you if there were any, ever a rough patch in their history, certainly it must have been the time spent in Egyptian slavery. There was a time when Pharaoh knew Joseph. There was a time when Joseph was second in command where he basically ran everything and Pharaoh just had to sit back and be fat and happy because everything was being taken care of so well. There was a time when being connected to Joseph meant that when you go to the restaurant, they've got a table waiting for you even if the restaurant's full. Oh, you're from Joseph's family. You just come right this way. There was a time that it was a real blessing to be able to associate yourself with Joseph. But then there was a problem because there came to be a Pharaoh, and I love the old wording, who knew, the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. There came a time when suddenly the guy who's Pharaoh 
doesn't know or appreciate anything about who Joseph was. All he could see was a group of people who were healthy and growing in number who weren't Egyptians, and you have to start wondering what they're up to. And so it's that, that all-too-familiar rhetoric about, well, what might they be up to? If we're not sure, we better think about striking preemptively. We better do something to them before they have the chance to do something to us. And so they're forced and subjected into slavery. Whatever status they would have had during the time when Pharaoh knew Joseph, that status is lost entirely. It used to be a good thing to be an Israelite, and now where they're living, it feels like being suspect number one. If there's a problem in the room, everyone's going to start by pointing the finger at the Israelite and saying it must have been something those people are up to. We know that certainly they prayed and complained to God. They must have been saying, what did we ever do to deserve something like this? God, are you even there? Where are you? Get us out of this. We know that God was listening to their cries, but just the same, time spent in slavery lasted over 400 years, many generations of slavery. It was a rough time for Israel. There was also the time period of wandering in the wilderness. After they had been delivered by a mighty acts of God, a show of his power, they were able to meet God up on the mountaintop. They were given new scripture. They were given the law. They could really understand the will of God and the heart of God. They experienced God through Moses especially like, like never before. But just the same, once it got time to enter the promised land, they just weren't willing to be brave or to trust God despite everything that they'd seen. So they sent some spies into the land for 40 days. The spies return. Ten out of 12 spies say, there is no way we can do this. Joshua and Caleb being the two exceptions. But all the rest are saying, these guys are like giants over there across the river. We could never take them. We're out here for no reason. We've wasted our time. What are we doing here? And so God decided to have them wander in the wilderness for 40 years a year for every day the spies had been there in the land. And, and functionally what that meant was an entire generation died out. That previous generation who had been so doubtful and so difficult and had made the golden calf so readily, God just decided to wait it out for 40 years and start over with the younger generation who was hopefully going to be a little different. But just the same, to wander around and go through the pain of waiting. I don't know about you, I, I get frustrated when I have to wait on God for a couple of weeks. I can't imagine waiting 40 years, 40 years just for God to show them what's next. There was the pain of waiting, the pain of change. They didn't even have a food source or any property. Like, how do you identify yourself in that time period? I'm an Israelite. Well, where do you live? Well, we don't. You know, what do you have? Well, we don't. Where's your God's temple? There isn't one. You know, they're just wandering and roaming. So at this point in time, they must have been saying, you know, how is this better than slavery? At least back in Egypt, we had some cucumbers and some spices, and we could have some variety to the food. Now they're just dependent on the bread that falls from heaven, the manna, to sustain themselves. They were homeless and wandering, just waiting for God to finally show them where to go next. Then, of course, there's the time of the exile, which was a horrendous time in the life of Israel. After all, they had, with God's help, conquered the land. They had a kingdom. They had a temple that Solomon built that would be the envy of anyone. 
It was at a time of great affluence. It was beautiful. It was breathtaking just to think about what a magnificent God this temple must represent. They had prosperity. They had the kind of inheritance that would go from generation to generation to generation. But then they had a problem. They had become just like the other nations. In fact, they were just as bad as many of the nations that they had driven out. There's a particularly grisly story about a Levite and his concubine and what happened to her, specifically that he ends up kind of throwing her to the wolves to protect himself and someone else. And over the course of the night, they raped her to death. This is in the territory of Benjamin, one of the 12 tribes. And so they send word out to the whole kingdom and everyone collectively says, what has happened to us? Israel has become as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. We're just as violent, just as perverse. What has happened to us? And God, how could God not respond to that level of corruption, especially when he just handed all this property to them? They didn't earn this. They weren't the most righteous people. God favored them, gave them all these blessings, gave them this wonderful kingdom, and they squandered it and became just as bad as everyone who had been before them. And so in the space of around 50 years, about half a century, the northern kingdom was conquered, and then the southern kingdom was conquered, and with it, the walls of Jerusalem are torn down, the temple is demolished and burned, and what family members aren't murdered and killed in battle are carried off to be someone else's servants, to be ruled over by other people's. We know from Scripture that they said on several occasions, boy, God has dealt with us harshly. Can we survive? Will we survive? Is our future now truly hopeless? And in fact, the harder question, when life is this difficult, what's the real benefit of being a person of faith? Why follow God if you're not getting out of it what you think you ought to be getting out of it? You know, on a a smaller scale, I think we could argue that Job lost as much as anyone has ever lost. He's gone through as bad of an experience as anyone could go through. In fact, as one messenger is bringing him bad news, before that messenger's done, the next messenger shows up, and one after another, boom, 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 he learns all of his property has been stolen, his, his dwelling places have been torn down, burned down, collapsed, his children have all died, servants are gone. The only thing he's got left, he doesn't even have his health. His health is taken from him. He's covered in sores, and he's sitting there in a pile of ashes, and his wife asks him the obvious question, why are you hanging on to your integrity? Why are you trying to be a godly person when look what it's gotten you? Curse God and die. What's the point? That's her, that's her comment, and that's her question. Job has lost more than any of us has lost, even in a year like this. And I want you to notice the wisdom, in fact, the the bravery of his response. He says in chapter 2 and verse 10, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from the Lord and not trouble? That's a heavy question. Shall we accept good from the Lord and not trouble? What exactly are you expecting from God in your life? If you're expecting all of your life to feel like a trip to Disney World, life's disappointing then, isn't it? It's not how life is. Is that really the purpose even of being alive? To go through no trouble, 
no hardship to get everything exactly the way I want it, when I want it, to be loved and admired by all, to have every door open to me every time, never to have any door closed in my face? Is that really what's going to prepare us to meet God one day? In fact, God has created this world and placed us in a world where there is the potential for good and for evil, for blessing and also for hardship because it is exactly this kind of world that can prepare us one day to meet God face to face, to test us, to challenge us, and to grow us so that we can become the kind of people that God is envisioning that we would become. It's through stress and difficulty that we often learn our greatest lessons in life, is it not? What helped grow you as a person? I don't have to know your story to know it's probably something that hurt when it happened. Pain can be a valuable teacher. Even reflecting back on those three stories I mentioned from Israel's history, there is the time of Egyptian slavery, which was horrendous and terrible, a hard time for Israel. Uh, There was, after all, the full loss of whatever status they had, There was that pain of mistreatment. But also consider this. Because of the time Israel spent in slavery, they got to see God's power on display like no human beings ever before them had seen. Between the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the appearance of God on Mount Sinai, they with their own eyes, it's unbelievable to think just one generation of people who started off as slaves were able to see such incredible of God in their own life, a fresh word from the Lord. Surely they must have learned that they had true worth in God's eyes. They were not forgotten. They were not abandoned. And even though God moves in his own time, their prayers were heard and were answered. Slavery was difficult, but without the time of slavery... You don't get the freedom from slavery. You don't get the experience of deliverance and all the blessings that came from that. During their time of wandering in the wilderness, they couldn't have experienced much stability or any sort of place of their own or peace of their own. They didn't have their own property. Certainly, while wandering for 40 years out in the wilderness with no direction, they experienced the pain of change. But because they were out wandering with no property and not even exactly knowing where they were going next, they certainly must have learned some level of patient reliance on God. When all you can do is wait for the Lord and all you can do is depend on the Lord, it changes you. In fact, you could see, if you read the early parts of Joshua, the kind of people that Joshua is leading, these are just a different caliber of people than that generation 40 years ago. These are children, many of them born in the wilderness, and when God called on them, they were ready to answer that call. There, there, is, there are few parts of Scripture more positive and upbeat than the beginning of Joshua with this new generation, and what a difference 40 years made in shaping the character and faith of a nation than that hardship of wandering and learning to wait on the Lord. In fact, even experiencing the manna from heaven, they may have gotten tired of it, but certainly they learned something about God's ability and willingness to provide for them. When every day you can only gather enough just for today and you just have to trust God to give you your daily bread, 
that has a very shaping effect. Trust, they learned, patient reliance on God. In fact, even in the time of exile, you know, earlier in Scripture, you don't have nearly as many passages that are looking so much toward the future and especially toward the Messiah. But once they'd been conquered and they didn't have their own kingdom, you look at great figures uh, like Daniel and all that he endured under foreign powers, yet at the same time, some of the visions God started giving to the people were unparalleled by anything before them. It's passages like Daniel chapter 7 that Jesus later invokes to refer to himself as the Son of Man, where Daniel sees one like a Son of Man riding on the cloud or in Daniel chapter 12 where he finally has a vision of what, what awaits us when we meet God, that there is a judgment and that the righteous and the unrighteous will each be dealt with according to what they've done. There's new clarity that came from this time of being exiled but also learning to wait for God and listen to God. In fact, I love some of the post-exilic, that's what you call it, after they've been in exile, you'd call some of these writings post-exilic, after exile. Some of the later writings in the Old Testament, there's a maturity that starts to pop up where they say, you know, we had really become rotten in what we did. There's a sense of repentance that comes up as a nation for some of the wrongs they had committed. They began to see the danger of being too comfortable in life and what that could lead to. There's a maturity that came along with what had happened to them physically and spiritually. In fact, I would invite us to consider, you know, we have our way of looking at a year of hardship or a period of hardship. I think God looks at these times really differently than we do. Uh, Hosea chapter 2 would be one example of this. This is God talking about the exile, about going into the wilderness. Sounds so different than the way we or the Israelites would have spoken of it. There's punishment involved. He says in verse 13, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot. Talking about the false gods chasing after material things. He says in verse 14, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. He's talking about the exile. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. Sure, it's hard to go through a difficult time in life. And people, we, we tend to fixate on everything that we might lose. But God is looking at it saying, now that they finally don't have any distractions... God looks at the time in the wilderness like a, like a romantic story. Me and my people can finally get to know each other again. We can fall in love again. They're not so distracted. They're not so puffed up. But it's just me and them, and we can reconnect. It's very tender language he uses when he thinks about what's possible through that time of exile. Uh, Isaiah says something very similar in chapter 43, also addressing people who are in exile. He says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He said, this is what's happening, but are you paying attention? When we go through great difficult circumstances, God is saying, are you not paying attention to what I'm doing? Do you not see what's happening? Because you're in the wilderness, now you get to watch me make a new way, a new path forward. And there's going to be beautiful, refreshing streams of life that come to you because 
you were here and because you were paying attention. So um, as I think about the way we talk about 2020, I have to wonder to myself, are we really such spoiled brats that we could look at the events of the last year and say, I just wish I could have been in a coma for the whole thing. Now, I wish someone would have just knocked me out last January and I could have skipped all of this. Are we so accustomed to getting everything that we want when we want it that we are unwilling to accept when God might have different plans for the world? Are we willing to accept only blessings from God but not also opportunities to grow? Am I willing to accept only help from God but I'm, I'll refuse the opportunities to get his instruction? I wonder if, rather than referring to 2020 as the year we lost our status, we would have the maturity to think back on 2020 and say, that was the year we learned God's true importance. Instead of 2020 being a year we refer to as a time of pain and frustration, we can refer to it as the time that we learned patient reliance on God. Is 2020 just the year that we lost what we thought was ours? Or can we finally learn to see it as the year that taught us the true value of just how many things we've been given? The year that taught us not to take things for granted. I wonder if in faith we can grow to the point that we could truly, sincerely say, thank God for 2020. Never in my life have I had so many opportunities to realize what mattered most, to reorganize my priorities, and to see God at work because I was finally paying attention. Thank God that all of that happened to me. I don't say that lightly either. I know that I'm talking to a room full of people who've been affected directly by the virus. I speak as one. My mother had it. Actually, both of my parents had it. My mom had a really hard time with it a couple of months ago, was hospitalized. So I don't say any of this lightly. It's been frightening. But just the same, I think if we look at this last year through the eyes of Scripture, we would have to say, surely God is at work creating a way in the wilderness if only we would be willing to pay attention and if we could get over ourselves enough to desire God's will for us even more than we desire getting our own way and our own preferences and our own agendas all the time. In a world where so many people are asking the wrong question, namely, what is it exactly I want out of God if I'm willing to follow God, I want to challenge us to ask the right question, which is, what is God expecting from me? After all that I've been through, all the things that I should have learned, even though I have a will and I might communicate what I want to God, when God doesn't toe the line the way that I want him to, and God gives me something different than that, the question is, what is God now expecting from me? That's a question we're going to continue to wrestle with in the upcoming weeks. Now that we've been through all that we've been through and are still going through to an extent, what is it that God expects from us next? How are we going to be a better generation because of what we've experienced? How are we going to be a more faithful church because of the maturity that we should now possess because of how difficult these things have been? In just a, a few moments, we're preparing to take a communion together. 
I want to remind everyone that if you are going through a difficult time in your life, if we can pray for you, encourage you, it has really been a hard year. We're grateful to be in a new year and for all the new hope that a new year brings. But if we can pray for you or encourage you in any way, we're always glad to talk to you. But um, as we start preparing to remember Jesus especially, I'm going to close my lesson here with a word of prayer if you would bow with me. God, we thank you for loving us enough that you haven't merely wound up the world, turned it loose, and ignored us. Lord, you have stayed interested in us. Lord, we thank you for the countless blessings we have enjoyed. And truly, Lord, we've had so many more good years and good days than we've had bad days. Lord, help us also to find gratitude in our hearts for the times that you have challenged us You've sent us things that were painful for us, but ultimately, Lord, you're the one who holds the future, and you're helping us to grow. You're helping us to prepare to meet you. Help us, Lord, to have the maturity to be asking the right questions, to have eyes to see and ears to hear, so that when you act and when you're moving, Lord, we join your movement, we join your actions, and we perceive the things that you're doing. Give us eyes, Lord, that see. We thank you, Father, for this time today that we could come together again to worship you, to reflect on your word. Lord, we're also mindful of the people worshiping with us from home and online. We just are thankful for each person and ask that you'd be at work in each of our hearts, but also collectively, Lord, build us together as a house where the Spirit can dwell. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.